somebody back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year in Golden State. See, Grant, what's good? We are back with another episode of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to take a moment out to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you can do so by following us on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's been a minute, brother. How's everything? Yeah, everything's good, man. You know, I'm doing better than our teams, though. So, oh man, oh man. I mean, I kind of feel like that's the reason why it's hard for us to jump on and do these podcasts, but we got to do better, you know. But, um, we've been working on a lot of other things. So, now that the NBA season starts to wind itself into clutch time, I guess it's time for us to get back to being clutch again. So, with that being said, um, it's been a while since we, you know, really been talking our NBA stuff. What do you What do you want to start with? Um, we could just We could just start with. Heck, we could We could talk a little bit about the hottest team in the league. Um, who's actually Memphis, but they're doing this all without John Morant. You know, he's been uh, he's been out with a little little. Um, I think it's a little ankle injury or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the injury was, but the fact that their winners are seven straight and they for the season they're twenty wins and two losses without them. So. They, this is a bunch of dogs in their team. I remember a couple of years ago, we was talking about Taylor Jenkins. Who's that? That dude probably came from nowhere. They're showing improvement. And they've been it's, – it's, with Memphis has been next man up. It hasn't even been on some old, well, we don't have our stars, so we can't perform. Because Jaron Jack – I mean, um, uh, yeah, Jaron Jackson, he's been out some games. And um, Dylan Brooks has been out for a few games too. So they've still been winning, I think. Um, with the emergence of Desmond Bain, I think he's going to be the most improved because that dude has been hitting quality shots. Um, he's averaging over 18 points a game. I mean, I think last year he was only averaging like eight. You know what I'm saying? Maybe even less than that. And they got a collective unit that is really just putting that work in that is making everybody putting, – putting NBA on notice. Now, will this transcend into the playoffs? Obviously, we'll see. But this is what you want to see is – a basketball, if you're a basketball fan of Memphis, this is what you want to see from your team or from any team that you root for. You want to see them. If the stars aren't in the game, you still want to see the team win. So, they, you know, hats off to them. Yeah, Memphis has definitely been the uh, surprise team of this NBA season. I, I don't think there's much of a um... – I mean, I did think that we picked them because guy is on that short list that we identified and shared, which is – Give a team one guy and four competent NBA players. Will they go to the playoffs? Ja made that list early, even as a rookie, because he, he has yet to 
not be there. So mm-hmm. him not being there and them still being as impressive as you've noted, 22 without him is ridiculous. But it's also a reflection of the fact that with that record and having one of those elite spurts, they're actually doing better record-wise in the standings than the Golden State Warriors, who for much of the season were the darling comeback team. They, mm-hmm. were, the, they were the oh, they're back of the NBA, and now they're they're back behind the Grizzlies. They're the number three seed, and yeah, talking about six games. Mm-hmm. But not many games left to go in the season, and um, yeah, it's only like games. four or five games left, right? So they solidified that that second seed in the West, which is mm-hmm. an ideal position considering how the, um, the the playoffs are looking to shake out with the uh, the bottom four teams that are in position to play for the playing game. You don't yeah. want. You know the the one in the the one in the two seed teams in the playoffs now they have even though they've worked the hardest or played the best to get the best record they have the most uncertain first round matchup of any other team yeah and I think that's what's unique about this new format for the NBA if you're playing three through six you can kind of get some advanced scouting done because you start to see where things are going to play out and you know who you're going to see in the first round, particularly the exactly. four and five. So the yep. fourth and fifth team, they're looking at each other for pretty much most of, most of the season. You know who that team is or you have an idea of who it's going to be, you get scout. If you're the first and second team, your advanced scouts are looking at four teams, two games, and two nights. Exactly. And also, go ahead. I was also going to say, you're going to be playing a team, one of two teams that's going to be having some momentum. So they're coming into playing you already played a a game or two under their belt. So some of the rust from having time off is not necessarily there anymore because they've already played a meaningful game that has impacted, you know, made an impact. So game one of, you know, the seven game series could could go could not go in your favor, the higher seeds favor, because of you got a team that's still, you know, they then they're still in that whole game mode shape, maybe having a day yeah, or two off where they're wrapped up, they're foaming at the mouth. They've they've just proven themselves worthy of being in the playoffs. And, you know, they're gonna come to an opponent's gym with that nothing to lose mentality, that Hoosiers, that, you know, underdog that cue up the music in the movie where the hero, you know, overcomes David, I mean, overcomes Goliath, they're in that mode. Mm-hmm. And here you are, the number one team in your conference. You know, you've, you you pretty much run the course. So, yeah, you're prepared for anything, but nobody's, well, yeah. prepared for, nobody's prepared for five rabid dogs running on the court biting everything. Like, there's just no preparation for that. And I think that's what you'll get from one of these two play-in teams in each conference. I don't mm-hmm. think it's necessarily that both play-in winners are, you know, going to be upset capable, but it is the NBA. And we've seen an eight seed beat a one seed. We've seen a seven beat mm-hmm. two. I don't know if we've seen a seven beat two, but we've definitely seen higher seeds go Lose. home early or take early losses in the playoffs because of that, that momentum factor. And it's definitely something that has to be considered when you look at what, what's going to play out in the East. Those bottom four teams, not so much the West. The West, I, I think, 
I think Phoenix and Memphis will be able to handle themselves against most of those 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 four possible playing teams. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look at the East, you're looking at Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn all vying for two spots. Yeah. Atlanta went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's one of those teams where if you let them run up and down, you can't keep them out of the air. And if you play an athlete game with them, you're, 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 you're standing on dangerous ground. A guy like Terry Rozier goes off a couple times, and next thing you know, you're down 2-1, down one zip. Because they just got guys like that that can go off. And Gordon Hayward, I think, is he finally back? Uh, that part I don't know. I I, I was actually I, I think they were saying that it's a possibility he will be back, but it might be you know the the playoff might be his first game back, you know, so he might not even get a regular season game under his belt before he actually um is thrown into the fire. Look yeah. at injury. he's not even listed. So let me hmm. check. So what the also what you're saying is what a lot of teams do, you gotta think that one of the two seeds, a lot of teams t- they start resting their starters to give them some a little bit of a break before the playoffs. Whereas these playing teams, they're like I said, they're playing straight through. I mean, again, you're looking at a team like the Brooklyn Nets that's in the tenth seed. If they make it to that eighth seed, they gotta play Miami. That's going to be a matchup. That's not going to be a, a, a walk in the park for Miami. You know what I mean? Because uh, Brooklyn poses a lot of different threats that, you know, we'll see what Miami has to um, – Miami Haywood will is stand. Oh, he, Haywood is he, back. Okay. He played, he played yesterday against Philadelphia. He logged 17 minutes. He uh, scored five points, one turnover, one steal, four assists, three rebounds, shot 50% from three. But he only had five points. So I think he took two three pointers. Mm-hmm. He, he shot thirty three percent overall. So he's getting his legs back under him. And Gordon Hayward is that steady force that a young team like. And I'm sorry to use the word force, but he's that steady influence on a on a young team like like Charlotte that you know gives them somebody who can they can run a play around, run a set, and he can execute. And you need those those that ability to execute in, in the playoffs. So he can make things interesting for them. They're the nice seed, so they're definitely going to have to play their way in. But then mm-hmm. the other lower seed is Brooklyn. And Brooklyn at one time was the number one seed in the East. Exactly. So you've got pedigree, you've got youth, you've got experience, you've got, you've got it all in those four teams that are vying for, for those last two spots. So the play-in is going to be very interesting in the East. You know, I can't say I would be surprised if any one of those four teams come out of it. I would expect that if you put Atlanta in a playoff environment, they'll play their way in and be able to hold the water. So I'm not going to preemptively give them a spot, but I would be surprised if they don't make it. And I would also be surprised if Brooklyn doesn't make it. But that means that Cleveland's got to lose. And Cleveland's had an amazing turnaround season themselves. I don't want to take anything away from what they've done. But even in mm-hmm. spite of of them losing players in the beginning of the season, you know, they lost Ricky Rubio and they still managed to bounce back. They made a trade for Karis Levert and they kind of made it make that work. That was a trade that I didn't really have much faith in, but it seems to be playing out for them as their winning percentage hasn't really taken a tumble. I mean, I think at one point the highest they were like maybe a fourth or fifth seed in the East. Mm-hmm. They got that high. But yeah. as soon as it's going to level off and, and pair down, because as you've seen, Chicago was once the number one seed too. They're a sixth seed now. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been high on Nick Nurse, and here he is again. You're going to put the Raptors up against 
the 76ers in the first round of the playoffs. We'll get to that in a moment because I think we need to talk about how dangerous it is in the East and the ramifications of what could happen in some of these, these playoff matchups. But I, I feel sorry for Philadelphia. They're looking at Toronto in the first round for seven games. And Nick Nurse is one of the most dangerous coaches and you give him opportunity to plan ahead. And he's beaten indeed before with a better roster. So mm-hmm. it's going to going to be very interesting. Milwaukee. Mm. Milwaukee was just lurking the whole entire season. And here they are now, the number two seed in the East and the arch nemesis and the Heat is number one. Yeah. So that's the thing. They, they might not possibly even face each other until the Eastern Conference Finals. So it could be a um, – it could be very interesting for these teams. I'm, I'm looking at the standings too. And I'm looking at <clears> – you know, like I said – Brooklyn, Brooklyn is, in my opinion, the elephant in the room, you know, because, again, if Brooklyn if get, Brooklyn starts hitting some strides, they're going to be a problem. You know what I mean? They're not going to be – you got to figure they forced the Bucks seven games last year, you know. So, granted, they had and a totally they, different – They had another close game with the Bucks recently, another yeah. game where, where, where Kevin Durant had – I don't want to say some issues, but Kevin Durant wasn't able to complete the objective. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go into it because it's been a while since we've been back on, so I feel like it would be dry for me to start jumping on the whole how things got nasty on social media between him and Nick Wright and what the goons were gobbling and all of those exchanges that they had. But, oh, no, um, I don't even, I didn't even hear it. Not, not, honestly, I don't, at this point, it doesn't even matter because we know KD could do on the court. I mean, the fact that, let's just talk uh, about this. They lost to, um, They lost to Atlanta, but he had 55 points, which to me, I didn't realize that was his career high. Yeah. I I thought he had more than that, and but he had fifty five points and he he shot like seventy percent, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, he shot I think sixty eight and a half percent or six yeah sixty eight percent, and you had fifty five like that's that's insane. He was eight out of ten for three. He missed two free throws, so that's not really KD like. But still, the fact of the matter is. He was able to, like I said, I'm just shocked. I've always thought KD had like a, 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 a higher than 55. I thought it was like like low. I thought it was like 60 or like 58. In between 58 and like 65, I thought KD had one time. But guess not. But the fact that it matter is that efficient, you're like, yo, he didn't even take the most shots on the team. So that's crazy. And at, and at the age he's at, and at the stage of his career uh, and athleticism that he's at, to still be able to achieve career highs as a totally different, totally different basketball player. Like, let's just be real. Kevin Durant post Achilles, he's still a fearsome scorer who can get his shot off against anybody. But the way he's getting to his spots and settling for baskets that don't involve being hyper athletic or you know doing doing so much to get two points has been an amazing transformation. He's, he's definitely become a, um, a master of efficiency. Yeah. Efficiency of movement, which is something that guys like we saw LeBron, Jordan, and Kobe, you know, ascend into as they got into that, you know, that mid to late thirties, they, they started to become guys who their, their, their loyalty to fundamentals really benefited them because they were able to, like I said, just score with ease. I mean, if we look at 
the um, the season leaders in, in scoring, you're looking at guys who all are some of the most refined players as far as their fundamentals go in the league. You know, you, you've got LeBron James who got his package of, you know, nobody else to score but me on the Lakers, so I'm going to lead the league in scoring and break a record as an old man. You know, I don't want to call him a stat chaser, but that's the energy that we I mean, come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Putting behind this season as a whole, the Lakers really essentially, I mean, at this point, and we'll get to that because they're still technically eligible, so I have to talk about them. I'm not excited to, and I haven't been excited to talk about them since the beginning of the season when I said early on, like, I just don't see this team being able to put it together, but it would be interesting if they did. Obviously, they didn't. Um, but the top five leaders of scoring are LeBron, Giannis, who who has expanded his game and now has, you know, mid-range pull-ups and mid-range fadeaways to, to add to his arsenal. He's become more of a screener for scoring more in screener situations, whereas before they were doing that Giannis at the top of the key four-out thing. Mm-hmm. That, as, he, as he gets older, it's just simply not going to be efficient and effective. Like, we, we say it and we say it and we say it oh, this big man is more mobile and agile than, than everybody else. That always stops about 26, 27, which is right around that age that Giannis is about to go into. You stop being so nimble and quick because you're just big. So you don't lose the agility, but your ability to summon that agility is not the same. I mean, Anthony Davis is a perfect example of that. Like, we look at Anthony Davis like he's 35. He's 27. Right, he's he playing like he's fifty five years old. Right? He got he got exactly. to be, his his knees is retired. Something happened. He must have been twenty five. Them knees just his his body breaks down too much to the point where again, remember if you want to talk about AD or just you talk about the fact that guys that are roughly the same size, most people at one point had AD at a, overall as a better player, but you can't become a better player if you're never on the court. The durability. <laughs> Is one of the things. And he played recently against the Pelicans. He made his return to the to the court, and they lost by three. I mean, yeah, and actually, but, uh, the game too. So the Lakers. Let's just go ahead and do it. The, the Lakers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you don't know about what. I don't know if it benefits them at all to quote unquote turn it up to get into the playing game. That's why I'm saying I don't know. I don't know if. It does them any favors to advance any further. I, I feel like they're in a situation where more harm than good may come from them trying to be hyper competitive and getting themselves into a postseason situation to only break down again. I almost feel like this season is a season of healing, and they've got to they've got to really take a deep dive into what they're going to be with what they have left with who they have on that roster. And I don't know if them suddenly figuring it out would stand to be a benefit to that franchise. Of course, if they do figure it out and go on a magical run. No, no, it's not. They don't have – the bodies aren't able to do what what the mind wants to do and what the body can can do are two different things with the Lakers. And I think that's that's what fans are are really forgetting, that when you get to a certain age – and a certain, and you have a certain skill set. There's always a, a, a steady decline or a deep decline. Sometimes, if you're the star, 
and now your body is not able to keep up that star. Your role changes as that happens. So a guy like LeBron, he can keep that high level up for us easy because he's always been an efficient player. But you talk mm-hmm. about a guy like um, AD who's always been hurt in and out of the lineup. You really like he's only good for like 40 to 40 to 50 games a season. And then you got somebody oh, like West. Huh? Uh, 18 days is 29. So I'm sorry. I, I you know, I estimated that he might still be. He, he's, he's 20. So mm-hmm. even well, with that being said, it still points to what I was saying about big men and their, they, they start to taper off when, and where we believe their prime to be. And I think that, that's going to have to be adjusted by position in the NBA and, and possibly by player. Because I feel like Anthony Davis is one of those guys who peaked early. He was so he he was so above people at his position coming into the league, you know, and he's leveled off. He still does a lot of things well, but like you said, his body betrays him and doesn't allow him to be sustainable. And going back to your point about the Lakers, I agree. I agree. Their mind says we're a playoff team. We've got two of the five best players in the league. Let's go out and show it. Yeah, great. Yeah, but those those two of the five best players, only one of them has been consistently the one of the best five best players. Anthony Davis, again, ability. You know, the the best ability is availability, and he hasn't been availability available. So, what point is it? But again, Westbrook has such a such a deep decline, he's you can't wait for him to get in the playoffs to figure it out. If you took him, you know, 70-something games and he still ain't figure it out. So that's just a recipe for disaster. But either way, you if it's what the Lakers is, yes, if they don't make the playing game and make it a Cinderella story, how they went from the playing game to world championship, it is a it's a dub because going forward, you're still on the books for an injured AD. You still got LeBron as another year older who you're thinking at some point is, he, he's not going to be able to still average 30 and still borderline make the playoffs. Like, because if LeBron doesn't put these heroic efforts, this, this Lakers team is a 25-game win team. If LeBron is putting out 30-plus points a night and he's doing – some nights he's playing 50 points. Some nights he's, like, you know, in the 40s, like – and he and, and they need every single basket. Like LeBron don't get a break. So at some point going next year, going forward, the Lakers are stuck. I mean, I don't even know what their cap space looks like and or players that even tradable because that THT kid, his value, his stock is dropped. So yeah. team, teams are not willing to look for him like, oh, he might be that dude again. And that's the problem with when you have potential players. I think, you know, something I've always said is potential has an expiration date. And a lot of these teams sometimes hold on to a player too long who has very high upside, but unfortunately they keep playing with them. They don't tap into that. So now you're like, yo, we got to throw them in the mix and trade them because we need something. It's like, well, you should have traded them a season before or two seasons before when you had a higher value because now you're trying to get this kid. He's not going to be able to do, he's not going to be able to do anything for them in the off season. And you got somebody like, I mean, to the point where, Malik Monk has took his minutes, you know, to the point where I don't even see THT on the consistently on the second unit or consistently in the game making things happen. But I see Malik Monk all the time, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So 
the, the who one was who was just my, a throw-in. No, but he was he was the guy that I liked in their offseason acquisitions. I, I and I think that Malik Monk has has he's played well with with all things considered. He he hasn't defied or he hasn't he hasn't hit lower than what his expectations were that I had for him. He's actually matched them. Um, you know that he's not, you know, the greatest defender, but he's a knockdown shooter. He can get hot, and he's done that. I like the Austin Reeves kid. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker has definitely had a, a, um, a setback season. But here's the underlying problem with the Lakers. The Lakers are top-heavy in salary. You've got Russell Westbrook, who's going to score $47 million next year. $47 million. Now, yeah. if you take $47 million and you go across the NBA and look at what you can get for $47 million and you look at what you're getting and got from Russell Westbrook, obviously the exchange rate is poor. You're getting, you're not even getting pennies on the dollar. And that's not me hating on Russell Westbrook because I think his decline has been grossly overstated because of where he's located. Russell Westbrook statistically is literally performing the same way he always has, just with less touches and opportunity because of the team he's on. So he looks bad doing less while not being as explosive as he once was. Mm-hmm. And obviously, obviously, his shooting, although statistically it matches you know his career averages, is magnified when you play in Temple Town. And that's mm-hmm. the reality. You wanted to go home, you got to show and prove. You know what it was like to play for the Lakers. You grew up doing that thing. So mm-hmm. his whole attitude and energy towards it, that's for him to work on. I don't want to criticize that brother because Russell Westbrook at this point, he's going to beat somebody up. We know that. And mm-hmm. I don't want him to come looking for me in our little podcast because he's upset over all of the slander he's taken all over the world. You know, he's already confronting fans who tried to call him Westbrook. Mm. So you can't do that. You can't do that. If you do do that, then there's going to be a problem. Either he's going to have you removed from the stadium or he's going to directly walk up to you. There's some viral videos of a number of people trying it after he made yeah. an open day. Don't call me Westbrook. I actually saw one on Facebook where the guy said, Westbrook, 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 Westbrook. And then Russell walked up to him and said, what did you call me? He said, oh, Westbrook. Mm-hmm. No, of course. Right. But that's... Listen, when you're when you are statistically, and I'm looking at his stats co- compared to the Wizards, you're four and and very and in, in, in these categories, you average a triple double last year playing it's about 65 games. You're actually playing more games than the Laker. Um, you're playing 76 games, but you're down four points a game, you're down four assists a game, you're down four rebounds a game. Like that stuff matters, especially when your turnovers are up. An, an extra turnover game, which is he's always been a high turnover player. Mm-hmm. Free throw percentage is, is still, you know, pretty much terrible. You're in the 60s, you know, the mid-60s. When, you know, when you first started your career, you were, you know, you were mid-80s. So it was just, it was just something to see how this guy has not been able to, you know, I mean, everything, like I said, I'm looking at some of his stats. I'm like, yeah, everything's down. Even even three-point percentage. He, was, he wasn't a good three-point shooter. And he's even worse this season than last. And again, like you said, with, with everything being in Los Angeles, it's amplified. And then you being a hometown kid, it's, you know, just psychologically, it plays a toll on him too, because 
the fact that he's responding to the critics more than he's responding to the opponents, that's kind of bad. So, you know, like you said, but, you know, enough with the Lakers. Like I said, they're either going to make the playoffs or AD. I'm, okay, let me ask you this. If they don't make the playoffs, what do you think will be some of the moves that they can actually make in the offseason? Um, there have been reports that Westbrook was open to being traded. I don't, I don't put any validity to that. I can't imagine him agreeing to come home and then not wanting to stay, at least for the entirety of his contract. Um, even with all that's been, you know, said and transpired in, in, in Los Angeles. Um, let me just pull that roster back up because I can do this real quick because I've been sitting on these thoughts. I think, I think, unfortunately, if he wants to salvage his last you know, a few years in the league, I think he'll have to leave LA because I mean this guy's been averaging for forty seven million dollars. That's the point. Like this is the thing with Russell Westbrook. What is it? Four teams, five years or something along those lines that he mm-hmm. that he's been a part of. No, for four teams in four years. Four teams in four years. For Russell Westbrook to be party to another team, that means another team has to be open to trading him and having something Ooh. that the Lakers would want to take on in exchange for that $47 million salary cap number. Obviously, yeah. you know, the team that you would point to would say, hey, maybe they do it. They ain't going to do it. That's Oklahoma City Thunder. You know? They're not mm-hmm. taking him back. Yeah. And I said, I, who gave him that number, and then we're happy to send him out. And they've been flipping guys who've been making ridiculous salaries for their position ever since. You know, that's how they got mm-hmm. to walk over and who else did they help? Did they help Chris? They help um Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally get it. I think, and the, the thing about it is, the Lakers don't have the assets. So for another team to say, okay, we'll take on Westbrook, but we want a first round draft pick, or we want you know three three picks that are you know maybe a first round and some early seconds mm-hmm. or late first rounders. The Lakers don't have those assets. Yeah, the Lakers moved on all those picks early on to get Anthony Davis. So. Yeah. I believe that this season and next season if Westbrook returns are going to be really, really difficult stretches for the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, going through their roster, some of the guys that they picked up along the way would have made sense if they had started the season with them. Like I thought adding a guy like DJ Augustine was brilliant because you need a perimeter scorer who can handle the ball, and that's what DJ Augustine has been the entirety of his career. Although he can't really play a little defense because he's short, at least he's going to give you an element on the court that is necessary for the type of players that you have who dominate the ball. With um, LeBron and AD drawing so much inside activity, you need guys who can knock down shots. Avery Bradley, I think, um, I don't know how much gas he's got left in the tank. That whole, he's an elite perimeter defender stuff. Hasn't no, it's, out. it's over. It's over. Them days is over. So, Them days is over. Let's be honest. Come on. I know you're a Lakers fan. You like the Lakers. Them I'm days not, is not, over. Not, and it's about me just speaking to the reality of these roster guys. Like, I I actually never really liked Avery Bradley. I just thought he was a nuisance. And mm-hmm. they got a championship without – And it got, it, got him 11, it got him 11 years in the league as a nuisance. I think I think he's done. He, he, like I said, but again, he has no value, so you can add him to, to get an asset. Continue. Wayne Ellington, same situation. If he's not knocking down shots, he, he brings nothing else to the table. He's not even playing. But these are guys that are on the roster. These mm. are the guys that are going to have to clear the space to for them to make. A, a Oof, yeah, I'm looking at the roster. This is terrible. 
They got Winyell Gabriel, who went to Kentucky, and he's been, you know, anybody who grabbed five rebounds in a Lakers uniform this year looks good. Oh, That's just God. how deplorable their, 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 their front line play has been. You got Dwight Howard, who recently had a really good game that didn't count for anything. I think he had a 27 and 11 type of game out of nowhere. The Lakers don't know what team to field out there with the roster that they have. That has been the entirety of their issue this entire season. They have no identity that they can hold on to and actually win with it. They've tried LeBron at the mm-hmm. five, and although that opened up a lot of unique and creative and exciting offensive possibilities, they're still losing by 10 in the game. Mm-hmm. Or they're losing by five. Or they're winning by 25 and then losing by six by the end of the game. To teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder, they can't hold their water. They just simply cannot hold their water versus whoever they're playing. That has been their underlying issue. They, for it to be a Frank Vogel team, their defense doesn't match his identity at all. He built that team up in the bubble to be able to basically secure the perimeter and the interior well enough for them to be a top five defense. The Lakers are nowhere in the top of anything in either side of the ball. And until you can get back to that level, there's really not much of a discussion you can have. So when you go back to their pieces, let's just go with what's guaranteed. LeBron, AD, you expect them to be back unless some team comes out of the blue and says, you know what, we'll take AD off your hands and give you some assets that you can use to, to, to build around what you have left and the Lakers are you know, amenable to taking them because it makes sense for them. I don't see a team winning Anthony Davis. Is it possible? Yes, but I don't see it. But again, we know how the NBA works. Whatever I don't see usually comes to fruition. Same thing with you and everybody else who prognosticates. So could a guy like Anthony Davis wind up being traded so that the Lakers can make a move? It's possible. Could a guy like Russell Westbrook be traded so that the Lakers could be able to do something? It's possible. He's got a $47 million salary, and if you're a team that's got two or three guys with, with, you know, above average salaries at their position and the Lakers want them, maybe maybe they take them back. We'll see. At $47 million, you know, a lot could be done. I mean, it was discussed. I don't know if it was actually came to fruition, but the Lakers were supposedly engaging with Houston and possibly taking on John Wall. Would that have been a better trade or a good trade for them? I, I, I doubt it. I don't think that John Wall – I think John Wall still has something left in the tank. I, I think at this point he's a better player than Russell Westbrook because he's not going to turn the ball over as much. And he, is he knows to allegedly have played defense. Is he the defender that he once was? I, I, absolutely not. But when you put him in, in the right environment, maybe you get a version of John Wall that makes sense for that team or for whatever team that he's playing. <clears throat> it's sad because John Wall used to be one of my favorite players in the league. But the injuries, and to the point now, he's not even. I've seen more workout videos of him during the regular season, not working out for the Rockets. So it's almost like they paid him to just be don't come Correct. to the facility. So I don't know what a year. I don't know what a year or season of you doing that will translate into now. If if even if you were to come to the Lakers at for, for whatever reason, right? Will you will Westbrook and Westbrook current situation is that is John Wall being better than that? You know what I'm saying? Because you got so much on the table. I mean, I think I think John Wall 
I don't think I'm, I'm they're the same to me. They're the same player in the same situation with the same horrendous uh, contract that doesn't make sense for teams that are already don't have them. Like if I'm a team like you know Milwaukee, or I'm a team like even the, the Kings. I'm not taking out the player. You know what I mean? So it's almost like Houston and the Lakers are kind of stuck because if the Lakers didn't pull the trigger for John Wall, I don't think having an offseason without him is going to make them want to pull the trigger again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think they want to revisit that. So I think they're stuck. And again, like I said, I mean, this is the NBA and they do find ways to get rid of players and they teams are teams are magicians when it comes to that. But I really don't see how that makes any man to see players that they used to be, you know, household names uh, struggling so bad in their later career. And, you know, that the only reason they're currently on these rosters is because no one else wants them because of their contract. That's tough. Mm-hmm. That's tough. That yeah, is tough. They, they've, gone from, they've gone from, you know, MVP candidates, award-winning players, all-stars to Heck, MVPs. Yeah, salary dunk. And then, honestly, if I'm Westbrook or John Wall, they have to have that decision with themselves. Yo, do I take this buyout and become a fourth or fifth man on a a winning team? Because I ain't going to be the man. And I ain't going to be the second. I'm not going to be the second option. So can I take being possibly maybe lucky if I'm third but really like fourth or fifth option and take well, that buyout? Let's contrast and, and I'll explain why that's not even even on the table for either one of these guys. First off, the NBA shelf life, as, as we have both alluded to, whether directly or indirectly, we know that they're on the tail end of it. Westbrook's in a situation where he's age 34. Three. About to be 34. Yeah, about to be 34. So he's going into his age 34 season. His prime is over. He's mm-hmm. you know, his best case scenario, and he's not this player at all, is to tail off his career the way Chris Paul has. We know that's not going to happen. No. Yeah, two different, two different skill sets. Right. Same thing for John Wall. John Wall, 31. These guys yeah, are yeah. going, if you have any common sense, you're going to take those bags. You, you need those bags. So you, listen, John Wall could openly be complaining. John Wall has been quiet. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's making $44 million. Mm. Russell Westbrook is making $47. John Wall is going to make $47 million. They signed an identical contract. They're yeah. going to the final season. They're taking that bag. I get I get the whole love of the game and, and that whole mantra that comes with loving the game and, you know, wanting to get back on the court and play for a winner. But I'm not saying neither one of those guys have that in their makeup. I just think that the sacrifice is too extravagant. They're not a guy like Kimball Walker who gambled and watched it backfire. So he took a buyout. Mm-hmm. He took a buyout when Boston, you know, let him go to Oklahoma City. He took a buyout so that he could be free to go play for the Knicks. Yeah. And although he's still not, you know, what we would think is healthy because he's essentially been given the John Wall treatment, they paid him to go away. Yeah. They pay him to go home in a season where the Knicks aren't going to the playoffs. Exactly. And, they, and, and unfortunately, they try to put a big part of not going to the playoffs on him. So, yeah. No, but again, see, what Kimball Walker did was, again, he'll get on another roster. 
you know what I mean, because of the, you know, the salaries. But $47 million, yeah, and both of those are player options. So they're going to opt into it because it makes financial sense. Um, so it, oof, like I said, yeah, I think John Wall is going to be sitting out again, you know, to the point where he'll be, he'll be like almost like two years, two years of not playing. I think the Rockets will, will do something in the off season. I think they'll figure it out. Um, I don't, I don't want to cancel out the possibility of John Wall playing for the Lakers. I, I think what it came down to is what you alluded to also earlier when you spoke about it. The fact that there's no assets to induce the Rockets, the team that are looking for assets to, to mm-hmm. trade John Wall. It's like, okay, yeah, number for number, but we're taking it back. Russell Westbrook, a guy who asked to leave. We don't mm-hmm. have a place to put him on the court. It's, that's the problem. It's not just the salary cap number. It's the fact that you're taking on a player that you really don't have uh, a practical use for with how you configure it. But we're so, going to leave the Lakers alone because we're talking about a dumpster fire that is probably as good as the movie Morbius wasn't. So let's, let's, let's get back to this uh, situation in the East. The Boston Celtics are the number three seed. Do you think that they'll be able to make the second round of the playoffs considering that they just lost Robert Williams to surgery? Oh, that's right. I forgot they lost. Yeah. The estimate is the second round. Now, they revamped there. They became the number one defense in the league when Ime Adoka developed this shifting scheme that they used that allowed Robert Williams to not actually guard a man, but guard a specific area of the court. Mm-hmm. They just hard switch on any action that comes his direction. It's yeah. beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to watch. I don't know if any of you guys that follow us follow taking basketball, but they actually have a visual, you know, representation of exactly how Boston's defense works. And they're basically just doing a relay system. So as guys come across certain spots on the court, all five of them are connected enough to know the switch to allow a player to move to somebody who can actually guard them in that situation. So it's almost a zone, but it's really more so about keeping Robert Williams on the lower area mm-hmm. of the basket so that he can help on anything coming to the rim. Yep. It worked. It worked. The, the, the Celtics with that switching and legal defense and the players that they had, they skyrocketed up to the number one defense in the league. But here they are now, the number one defense in the league. They're a top three seed. And they're staring out in the face of the Chicago Bulls in the first round. The East playoffs are going to be special. They are going to be special this year. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. See, in my opinion, Tatum and Brown have to be hitting on all cylinders for that entire series to give them, to really put them in the mix if they play Boston. I mean, if they play the Bulls. Because, and the same thing goes, and honestly, the same thing goes for DeRozan and Levine. Because I feel like, I feel like DeRozan and Levine, if, if consistent, which DeRozan's been consistent, Levine has been kind of off injured and stuff like that, that, but it's almost about who has the better role players. Because when you look at Boston and you look at um, the Bulls, both number one and two options can get 40, you know? So that if they can, if they negate each other, then you have to look at who's next up, you know? Yeah, and I think Chicago versus Boston. These are the two keys. And it has really nothing to do with Boston. I, I feel like Boston has they built their defensive identity. So will they be as good defensively without Robert Williams for that series? I don't think so. But will yeah. they be? Yeah, 
because Mike Tice, they were able to get him back. Mm-hmm. Was part of, of their success before. Although he Facts. He, he just made it work for them. So they have him and they have Al Horford. They have veteran bigs. Mm-hmm. The issues that I believe are that give give me pause about not just chalking it up as an easy series is two things. What's going to happen with Lonzo Ball? Is he going to be able to come back and play? And the other thing, and as of right now, it doesn't look good for him. And the other thing is, can Vucevic actually welcome himself to the playoffs? Because he's the X factor. Mm-hmm. You have a big versus team that doesn't have their best big interior defense. Yeah. So if Vucevic shows up and has a dominant three games in a seven-game series, Boston can't win. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially well, if, especially if Levine and and um, DeRozan are similar numbers. Yeah, well, I'm saying similar numbers to Brown and Tatum. They got to keep pace with those two, and then you need a person like Vucevic to step up. Yeah, and in theory, that puts you over the top because it's a very, they're very obviously the the two top players are they very dynamic players. So. Yeah, you got you got four guys who can go anywhere from their low end. I mean, obviously their low end is zero, but you, you're not expecting them in the playoffs. But you expect if these guys are having a quote unquote average to good game for themselves, you're talking early twenties, and great games can go anywhere as high as fifty because DeRozan can drop fifty on the Bulls. Yeah, and Tatum came close. If no, I think Tatum already did fifty. No, I'm sorry, he he carried. I'm sorry, he the, the fifty points that he had was in a different game. But the Bulls, I mean, DeRozan recently dropped 50. DeRozan's been having an amazing season. Yeah, so facts. to put the ball in the bucket, he, he, he's at that, and he's in that prime level where his mid-range game has met, you know, the apex of, of, of his abilities on the floor, and he's done it in the Chicago Bulls uniform. So kudos to him. It just seems like every guy who LeBron or the Lakers turned down or should have possibly gone aggressively for went on to have great seasons for their other teams, where LeBron got Kendrick Nunn, who didn't play a game for the Lakers. But back to back to this Chicago situation. Yeah, you got you got Tatum Brown, DeRozan Levine. Any one of those guys can give you 20 to 50 on a night. So a guy like Vucevic mm-hmm. showing up and giving you 15 and 12. Mm-hmm. For four games or, or for seven games of the series, if you can't offset that, that 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 could be the, the straw that broke the camel's back in, in their situation because they're they're primed to face each other in the first round. And I feel like the three and six game, the three and six series and the four and five series, they're slug fest. They're slug fest. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. got Miami and Milwaukee who are just essentially they're playing Russian roulette. Against their will, like that's the that's the other side of this playing situation that, like I, I spoke to at the beginning of the of the cast, like it's great and it's exciting for fans, but this is chaos for those top two seeds. This is their reward. Oh, y'all wait and find out. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, the NBA season has always been one where the race for the seventh and eighth seed has been one that tends to come down to the end of the seasons, but this is different. Yeah. This is really different. Because these are teams where, if you look at how both teams have interacted, Milwaukee has played tooth and nail with Brooklyn. I don't know how they've got on with Charlotte, and I don't know how they've got on with Atlanta and Cleveland. But when you have a team that's in that 
arena of, yo, if we have to play these guys, it might be, you know, it might be the Eastern Conference Finals in the first round. It's, it's going to be tough. Can Miami beat Brooklyn? If, if Brooklyn, I don't, listen, if Kyrie, well, did no. Did I say that incorrectly? Can, can Brooklyn beat Miami? Is that the way I'm supposed to ask that question? Listen, however you slice it, I can see Brooklyn beating Miami. Like this, I don't, I think, I think if Brooklyn plays Miami, I think it will be a tough matchup for Miami because Miami has players that, that match up well, but they don't, they're not able to score at an, such a large abundance as KD and Kyrie. And I right, really. So let's, be fair, let's be fair to the other team, real quick. I'm just going to run this through and you just. And tell again, me, remember, but also remember. Okay. So Miami plays Cleveland in the first round. What do you say? Uh, I say Miami in five. Miami plays Atlanta in the first round. You say? Oof. I say Miami in six. Miami I mean, plays seven, maybe. Atlanta, Trey um, Young is different in the playoffs. But I, I say Miami. I still give it to Miami. So if it's six or seven, it's still Miami. Miami, Charlotte. I say Miami in four. Okay, so now let's circle back because I don't want to disrespect those other teams. So I just wanted to be fair real quick before we give Brooklyn the floor because Brooklyn has been a story. And deservedly, they, they deserve this airtime as, you know, they have marquee players in a unique situation going on there. And again, like I said, they were at one time the number one seed in the East. So Miami playing Brooklyn, you say that that's a series that it could go down to the wire. That series could go out of the direction. It could, be, it, it could be Brooklyn in six. It could be Miami at six. It could be Brooklyn at seven. It could be Miami at seven. It could be Brooklyn. At five. I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if it's Brooklyn at five. That wouldn't be surprised. That wouldn't surprise me. But and Miami. Now listen. This is the only thing we also got to keep in mind. There's what four games left in the season between the number one seed and the number four seed is two and a half games. So this whole Miami, yeah, people could remember what earlier this week, bro, I mean, the Celtics were number one. Mm-hmm. So in, in the Bucks, you know what I mean? So it can easily flip, you know what I mean? But like I said, for argument's sake, Miami holds on to the number one's position. So is it, is it ideal to even be the number one seed in the East? Do, do you maybe want to be the third seed? Because again, you're looking at Chicago. Chicago is probably Chicago or Cleveland, maybe Chicago or Toronto. I don't think anybody wants. There's no, you know, clear cut winner. There's no like back when back when we were younger, and teams would start to do the and even in the 2000s and mid 2000s because you saw LeBron do it with the Heat and with um the the Cavaliers. There's no jockeying for position to put yourself in a. You, you know what I'm saying? Where teams would no, be like, all right, let's go ahead and drop down to number two because this way we get Toronto. And we know Toronto don't know what to do in the playoffs, you know, because that's what Cleveland did every year. It's almost like they were mm-hmm, picking mm-hmm. up Toronto to eventually get to them, to get to where they needed to go. I don't see the East this way. If I'm, if I'm a top four team, I don't want to play Toronto in the first round. They switch everything. Mm-hmm. They're wrong. They play really annoying defense. They, they scheme. Fred Van Vliet is a detonator. Do you really want to deal with it? And, and you're starting to see Siakam gain his confidence back. 
because for a while his confidence was gone. It took it took a vacation or something, but now his confidence is coming back. And, and they got arguably the best rookie in the league on their team is Scotty Barnes. Yeah, and then don't forget Gary Trent Jr. hitting them threes because there's games where I've seen him hit enough mm-hmm. shots to put way over push the pressure. Yeah, he'll go off in his little spurts. He'll have a couple of games where he's averaging over 18 a game, 20 something a game. You'd be like, damn, like because again, you when we look at Toronto, they were in the bottom four. They were in the bottom four. They were through seven through ten for a lot a, a good amount of the season. And then all of a sudden, they just started winning. They kept winning. They kept winning. And like you said, once they, they started finding the rhythm, and that's what, again, that's what the, the underdogs, what happens when you're an underdog, you're flying underneath the, enough people's radars that, yeah, you say, yeah, it's, <clears throat> you know, this is why we watch the NBA, man, to be honest with you, because there is no clear cut favorite. I think Milwaukee. And mind you, we can embrace the fact that Toronto could go into the playoffs and get swept. I'm not saying that's not possible either. No, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. And the pedigree of what they have proven with Ross, with players that are still in their roster. You still got a world champion in Pascal Siakam. You still got a world champion in Fred Van Vliet. You still got a world champion head coach in, in um, Nick Nurse. You've got players who have been through the fire. So, and they also had a really tough going with what they had to deal with in Toronto and COVID. You know, we have to scratch the fact that they played a season outside of their home environment. So there was a lot going on as they were figuring out that roster, what we're going to do with Kyle Lowry. They finally got that figured out and, and, you know, sent him on to Miami and then essentially said, go and drive it free because they don't even use him. You know, mm-hmm. he's gone. So yeah. that was just so that they can make room to hand the franchise over to Fred Van Vliet. And now that they've done that and figured out how to work an offense around, you know, what Fred and Fred, what Fred can and can't do as a player, it's manifesting. Like I said, they got three switchable guys. You've got Scotty Barnes. You've got um, uh, I knew I was gonna forget his name. You got Scotty Barnes. You got Siakam, and, and you got um, OG. And then you mm-hmm. got you got other useful guys that 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 you put around them, like Gary Trent, like you mentioned, who they make it work. Nobody necessarily stands out, but that's kind of how Toronto's always been. Even when Kawhi was there, it was like Kawhi was just a really good part, along with some good parts. So Toronto is mm-hmm. one of those teams that if one of their guys, and it's probably going to be Fred this year, plays above his head at a level where nobody can stop him, that rest of that team goes up a level. And you don't want to deal with that. You don't want to deal with that. So this is why I said the East is, when the East is in the house, oh, my God, danger. And the East is in the house this year. I think that the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be much more entertaining than the West. And that's not to say that the West doesn't have some good situations going. We're going to, you know, dive into them a little bit because I think that's probably something that we'll have to do for the next podcast. Um, I, I feel like Phoenix is a machine, you know? They're just chugging along, and it's really about finals or bust for that team. They just seem like they're, you know, steamrolling. So if they weren't to make it to the Western Conference Finals, I, I think that would be a failure for them considering that they are the defending Western Conference champions, and it looks like they're just trying to book their date return to the finals. So I would be surprised if they don't at least get back to the Western Conference finals. I think Memphis, you know, because they're young, they're subject to that inexperience possibly coming back to bite them. I don't know when and if it could happen because the teams that they'll be playing against, some of those teams don't necessarily have a reputation for closing people out. You know, Denver, 
they had their shot at the Western Conference Finals with the Lakers, and they weren't able to do it. Utah, you know that they typically make it to the second round and don't really get farther than that. Dallas, Dallas is helped with Skelter. Um, mm-hmm. Golden State, Golden State is a is a if and when team. You know, if this person is back and playing well, if Clay is the Clay that we know, then blah 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 blah. So I just feel like they have a hypothetical situation going on with them. Um, these lower four teams, like Minnesota's happy to be there. You know, that's yeah, yeah, of course. Team. Yeah, there's Pat Beverly in them. <clears throat> Pat Beverly's going to give you a fight, but it's going to be enough. You know what I mean? He's going to help you. The eighth seed, I feel like Phoenix is going to slaughter whoever's the eighth seed. Like, I really feel like Pelicans don't stand a chance. Spurs don't stand a chance. The Clippers, eh, they'll get a game. It, you know what I mean? Like, I see Memphis. Paul Menace, came back right out of his mind and then went on elbow maintenance the next game. Well, of course, but that's going to happen. You know what I mean? You, you right. Injured. I mean, because they gave him too many, they gave him too many minutes for a win. I think he played. He was supposed yeah. to play in the twenties, and he wound up playing like thirty plus minutes. That's what I'm saying. Like all for like, come on now. So yeah, I don't, I don't think, and I think Minnesota. I mean, I think Memphis. Memphis, I think really, I really feel like Memphis will get out the first round. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I just, you know, it's whatever. Golden State, like you said, if all of those, th- if. If they if their players are healthy, if Steph Clary, Steph Clay and Draymond are healthy, they'll get past Denver because Denver's still as good as Jokic is. Those guys, I don't, they're not ready to beat the Warriors. You know what I'm saying? Utah, Golden State could get. They could, in theory, possibly get Minnesota. Minnesota could win their way up. So I, I don't want to project. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm saying Minnesota. currently standing. That's what I'm saying. Current, if you go current standings. Yeah, Dallas versus Utah is a bloodbath. Yeah, because that can go either way. I can see Donovan Mitchell averaging forty for the season. I mean, for the series, and they still lose. Like mm-hmm. that's that's Same thing with Luka. yeah, yeah. Luca, Luca, he, he, yeah. Luca's probably gonna get you a triple double. This could be another. This could be another Donovan versus uh, Jamal Murray situation where they basically oh. say, "Hey, you top this for seven games." Yeah, that could be what that series is. I mean, and, and it's crazy because Utah is one of the best defensive teams in the league. And come playoff time, they seem to always face somebody they cannot stop. So it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting in the West, but I don't think it's going to be as exciting as the East is lining up to be. Maybe it's a storyline thing. Maybe it's just a matter of, uh, I don't know, uh, East Coast bias. Uh, I don't want to say it's that because I am very intrigued by the teams that are going to be in the playoffs on both sides of the conferences. But I just see Phoenix is just at a different level. Like when I saw Chris Chris Paul go down, and it seems like Phoenix improved. That's sixty-two and fifteen. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but that's the confidence that Chris Paul has helped those players develop, and that's also mm-hmm. coach culture with Monty Williams. Monty Williams is a good coach. I think that's been overlooked a lot right. because he has been. You know, you expect after a while, you expected it. You know what I mean? You expected, oh, he, he's their well coached team, this and third. Like I said, and he's had Chris Paul for uh, some, some of his um, good part of his career, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, coaching career, I should say. So, again, I think Phoenix, yeah, I mean, barring any injuries, everybody's healthy. They'll get up that first round. Like I said, the best, that's a four or five matchup. Heck, the four or five matchup in the East. Or the West, I think, is going to be the most intriguing matchup of each, you know, of each uh, conference. Because those four or five matchups could go either way. 
And again, and the loser of that four or five matchup in either conference is going to, I think, I think it's going to be a whole change. Well, if let me say this: if Philadelphia loses to Toronto in the first round, Doc's out, and they got to, and they're going to figure something else out. But Doc is the scapegoat. Um, four or five matchup for Dallas. I think Utah. I think Gobert or Gobert's traded, and Donovan requests to get out of there. Like you know what I'm saying? Like if they lose in that first round matchup, that's that's the trajectory. If Utah or or Philly, they don't get out the first round. It's I don't know if the coach will get fired in Utah because Utah is just always good regular season team. You ain't too sure what you're gonna get in the playoffs. Um, you know you got a star that's gonna show up, but is everybody else gonna show up? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I think that's what's gonna happen. I agree with you for the most part on, on, on those regards that you guys say that like if you know certain players lose, they will be asking out or asking to be traded because you know that's just the nature of how the NBA works nowadays. You know, God wants to win and God wants to win in cities that they are at least going to enjoy being in. And you know, a lot has to be said about the fact that Donovan Mitchell went to went to Utah and never complained. You know, he signed his extension, he he bought in. So. You know, Dwayne Wade has come on, come along to be a part of the franchise to, you know, kind of give some some marquee elements to what they're doing. So I, I definitely think that, you know, that Utah situation is going to be one to watch as the series and the, and the playoffs play out. The um, playoffs actually start on April 16th. So it's going to be interesting, and I do look forward to a three convenient one this season. It's going to be a fun ride to, to see how teams get there and see what teams have really proven that they have the maturity and pedigree. Is this the year that, you know, Denver Denver somehow makes it to the finals? Is, is this the year where Utah somehow makes it to the finals? These are all things that we don't expect but could happen, but it's going to be interesting to see how they play out. But again, my eyes are peeled for what's going to happen with, like you, like we alluded to, the top two situation in the East and who those top two teams play. Because I think there may be some shenanigans involved. If it looks like Brooklyn is trending to be that seventh or eighth seed, do you shift yourself down to three? The team that's most afraid of Brooklyn we'll see by by, by the end of the season. So that's going to be interesting to see. And Brooklyn also has to be able to hold the water. I mean, they've punched their play-in burst. You know, all of the other Eastern teams are eliminated. So now it's just a matter of them getting comfortable. It's unfortunate because we probably don't see Ben Simmons for the remainder of this year with his back issues. Um, that's something that we can talk about in another podcast. But on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. As always, we'd like to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you can do so by following us on any of the podcasting platforms we're hosted on. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And on that note, we say peace. Peace.